Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. can actually flow in the power of God to see miracles done, not just you witnessing them, but them being done in and through you. You know, the Bible says in Acts chapter 19 and verse 11 that God worked extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that handkerchiefs and aprons were brought from his body to those that were demon-possessed and sick, and the demonized were set free and the sick were healed. But notice how it says God worked extraordinary miracles. How? By the hands of Paul. God worked the miracle, but it came through the hands of Paul. You know, yesterday as I was praying and meditating, the Lord showed me something. And obviously was in anticipation for today's broadcast. But the Lord showed me something. That there's not one miracle done in the entirety of the Bible. And you can study it. There's not one miracle, not one healing Not one display of God's power where it resulted in somebody's healing or deliverance that came outside of God using a man or a woman. You can study from Genesis to Revelation. Anytime God wanted to heal someone, he used a person to lay hands on or speak a word. Anytime God wanted to deliver someone, he used a person to say a word, to speak a word. And you can see that even in Genesis 20, Abimelech, He takes Sarah, Abraham's wife, and intends to to sleep with her. He has a dream at night, and the dream says, you've taken a prophet's wife, and I'm going to kill you if you don't return her to him. And the Bible says that a plague broke out in his home, and his children and his own wife became barren and unfruitful. And the Bible says that Abraham prayed for Abimelech. God actually told Abimelech, have Abraham pray for you and he'll be healed. And in Genesis 20, it says Abraham prayed for Abimelech and his household was healed and the plague lifted. Even in Job's day, you look at Job. The Bible says it was after he prayed for his friends that they were restored from captivity. You look at it all throughout the Gospels. Jesus preached. Jesus taught. And then he demonstrated healing by laying hands on people, by speaking a word on certain people, by spitting on someone's eyes, their sight recovered. So you see this pattern here that nothing God desires to do is going to automatically be done outside of man's responsibility to cooperate and co-labor with God. You see in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I believe it is, it says that, I, Paul, uh, planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gives the increase. So you see, there's this responsibility to co-labor with God. Matter of fact, Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 3, he says that we are co-laborers with God. And he says, you are the field and you are God's building that we're trying to build. So there's a work to be done. There's a building to be built, but unless people co-labor with God, it will not be done. There's certain things that God will not do on the earth. 
just by his sovereign act. You know, Jesus coming to the earth was his sovereign move. There's nothing man did to send Jesus to the earth. God sovereignly moved and sent Jesus to the earth. That is his sovereignty at work. But then God in his sovereignty has made a decision by the Holy Trinity before time ever began how he would touch and impact people, how he would heal people, how he would deliver people. And that sovereign decision was the Holy Trinity obviously had some sort of conversation where they came to the conclusion when we decide, when we move to heal someone, when we move to deliver someone, we're going to do it through people. John Wesley said, it seems to me that God will do nothing on the earth unless a man prays, unless a man prays. So today when we talk about the power gifts, because I know especially with the title I gave it, power to perform miracles, you're going to have all kinds of religious people come out of the woodwork and say, we can't do any miracles, it's God who does miracles. Yes, God is the source of the power that brings the miracle. However, God in his sovereignty has chosen to use men to bring these works to pass, to fulfill these assignments. You know, the Bible says, and I believe it's in the book of Titus, it says that God will fulfill the work of faith with his power. So that means God's power will not come until the work of faith is done. The work of faith is what will be fulfilled with power. What's the work of faith? It's laying hands on the sick. It's speaking to dry bones. It's speaking to... To, to mountains and commanding them to be uprooted. The work of faith is us taking up our mandate, our responsibility to not just be preachers of the word, but be demonstrators of the word. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says that when I came to you, you Corinthians, I didn't come with persuasive words of human wisdom. I didn't come in a persuasive speech or excellent speech. I didn't come sounding like Shakespeare. I didn't come with this nice argument. I didn't come with this great, uh, great gift of gab speech. He said, I came in a demonstration of the Spirit of God and His power so that your faith would not rely on the, on, on the wisdom of men, but on the faith of God that works its power in them that believe. On the power of God that works its power in them that believe. So you see that even Paul, Paul identified himself as a custodian of that power that was to be used to reach the unreached masses of his generation. In Romans chapter 15 and verse 19, Paul says, In mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I fully preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when we talk about power to perform miracles, we are simply realizing or recognizing that God uses people to minister his resurrection power to others and we're not going to be you know high mind there's a lot of people that they make statements that sound pious and sound humble but they're actually very prideful statements if God's going to get it done he'll do it by his own it's prideful to think that way because that's certainly not the scriptural blueprint for things for for how God operates the Bible says, by the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done. The Bible says, and God worked with them, Mark 16, and God worked with them, accompanying the message preached with signs following. God worked with them. So when we talk about power to perform miracles, we're talking about lending ourselves over to the will of God 
and to the Spirit of God so that He can work in and through us to accomplish His good pleasure. I want to read this in Psalm 71, David speaking. Psalm 71, 18, one of the most powerful scriptures in the Psalms. David says, and it's an amazing prayer. He says, God, when I am old and I am gray-headed, do not forsake me, O God, until I declare your strength to this generation and your power to everyone who is to come. When I am old and gray-headed, don't forsake me, God, until I have shown your strength to this generation and your power to everyone who comes. The Bible says in Judges chapter 2 and verse 10 that another generation rose up that did not know the works that God had done for Israel. They had forgotten about the Red Sea parting. They had not seen the, the river, the, the, the sea parting. They had not seen that staff of Moses that was turned into a snake and swallowed up the staffs of the Egyptians. They had not seen Moses striking the rock and water flowing from the rock. They had not seen these things. They had forgotten. And as such, they turned to the worship of foreign gods and foreign deities. You want to know why the world can mock the church at times? You want to know why the world can scoff at the church at times? You want to know why the world sometimes does not give much influence to the church or doesn't bring a level of seriousness to what the church is doing and our mandate and our mission and our wisdom is because if the church operates in a natural method, if the church waters down its commission, to simply uh, self-help strategies and just speaking love uh, sermons on love, the world is going to mock it. The church was born in the supernatural. The church was raised up in the supernatural. And the church will only thrive in the supernatural. For the church of Jesus Christ, the supernatural is the natural. And so the world can mock Government institutions can call the church non-essential as long as the church and those that belong to the body of Christ maintain just natural strategies in reaching our generation. We weren't called to reach our generation with smoke shows. We weren't called to reach our generation with just nice music. We were not called to reach our generation with fancy drama theaters and plays. We were called to reach our generation with the power of God on display. That's why Jesus said, tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you're clothed with power. For after that you've received the Holy Ghost. You shall receive power and you will be my witnesses, effective witnesses. That word witness is martyrs, which doesn't just speak of being ready to lay your life down for the gospel. It's the word martis, which where we get our word martyr, but it doesn't just allude to the fact that we must give our life and the Holy Ghost will give us power to, to endure to the end, even if it costs us our very life. The word martis means one who brings forth evidence in word and in deed. Hallelujah. We are martyrs. We are witnesses. Bringing forth evidence, not only in word, but in deed. And that's where these power gifts uh, come into play. That's where we now see where we are to cherish these power gifts, where we are to crave these power gifts. A church that is void of power, the devil sees as a non-issue and irrelevant. 
A church that neglects the miracle working power of God is seen by the devil as uh, a non-threatening institution. A church that neglects to demonstrate the power of God in the generation. The devil doesn't even bother with. A church that the devil now sees on his radar is one who takes up, and I've called this yesterday, the arsenal of the spirit, the weapons of our warfare. These power gifts are like the swords that God has given us to cut down, to break down, to destroy. You know, 1 John 3, 8, the son of God was sent to destroy the work of the devil. It's in these power gifts that we continue that mandate, that we follow suit, that we grab the baton from, church, from, from Jesus and from the early church to continue in this commission of destroying the works of the devil. It's by the working of miracles that we can destroy the work of the devil set up in people's bodies and in people's lives. It's by the gifts of healings that we can destroy the work of the devil. It's by this gift of faith that we can put to naught, bring to nothing the attacks and the assaults that the kingdom of heaven, uh, the kingdom of hell has uh, drawn up for, for people in this generation you know if you don't have a if you have no problem with people staying bound if you have no problem with people staying sick if you have no problem with people being battered down and oppressed and bruised and held captive by the devil's snares and tactics and strategies then you're not going to care about the power gifts of the holy ghost you're not going to care about this at all but if you're someone like me and i believe you are because you're watching me right now and you haven't tuned out if you're someone like me that hates seeing people in wheelchairs, hates seeing people blind, hates seeing people deaf, hates seeing people bound by the chains of hell, these satanic uh, ploys to keep people out of what God has designed them to be. If that irritates you, if that frustrates you, well, the good news for you today is it doesn't just have to frustrate you. It doesn't just have to irritate you. There is power available and accessible in these gifts of the Holy Ghost where you can step out of someone who's just a non-playable character in the body of Christ to somebody who is a threat to the devil, who's been thoroughly equipped, heavily armed by these gifts of the Spirit to actually do something about it not just keep people in prayer not just look to people and say oh I feel bad for them oh what a shameful thing oh what a harmful thing oh I would hate to see that happen oh instead of just saying all these statements that Christians are guilty of saying all the time I feel bad for them oh I have sympathy for them you weren't called and anointed and equipped to feel sympathy for people you were called and anointed and equipped to destroy the work of the devil by these gifts of the holy ghost called the power gifts hallelujah john 14 12 i read this yesterday and i'm going to read it again because in talking about the power gifts of the holy ghost you need to see that we're drinking from the same power jesus drank from that we don't have a junior holy ghost that we're not given in this you know these last days it's not like jesus in the early church had the actual holy spirit and now we have to deal with some f form of the holy spirit but not the actual holy spirit or not the complete holy spirit and the fullness of his power we only have access to a bit of his power we have junior holy ghost we have his twin brother who's not quite as effective as he was as his older brother is 
uh, as, as the older brother was in the Gospels and in the book of Acts and throughout history. In these last days, we have the junior Holy Ghost, and he'll be effective, but not just quite as effective. Matter of fact, this junior Holy Ghost, he just allows us to have strategies that were, are, are basically naturalistic in approach on how to reach our generation, how to get people into our churches. This junior Holy Ghost will just enlighten you on strategies, things you can do to get people into your church without that same Holy Ghost that was in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and in the book of Acts, that this junior Holy Ghost provides us with a different method and a different way of reaching our generation, you know, uh, church growth strategies, and that's why you have all these church growth seminars, and you go to these church growth seminars, and I'm telling you, I have seen them you have a bunch of strategies that i'm not against you know i'm not against practical strategies i'm not against ha launching advertisement campaigns uh, i'm not against putting uh, your church logo on buses and all that stuff i'm not against all that but ultimately if you do all that but you're missing this key ingredient it ain't you might get people in your building but are they gonna stay are they gonna stay you go to some church growth seminars and all it does, all it revolves around is getting people into the building and in natural ways to plead with those people to stay. And if you, if you try and, um, if you try and grab people and pull them into your building with carnal means and efforts, you're going to have to keep them with carnal means and efforts. And that's where you see churches and pastors and leaders burning out. Because they're worried people are going to leave. They're trying. They're working overtime to hope these people don't leave. Let's have, uh, let's have movie night every Thursday. Let's have knitting club. Let's have this. Let's, I'm not against all those things. But if all you have is those things, but you're missing this key ingredient, people might come the first time, but they ain't going to stay. Because it's only the transformative power of the Holy Ghost that can do an inside work an inside work that cannot be done any other way, that psychiatry cannot do, that medical professionals cannot do, that no human instrument can do, that only the institution of the church with the power of God at work in it can accomplish in their life. That's what distinguishes the church from every other institution on planet earth. That's what makes us abnormal or unusual. I don't know about you, but I was just praying before and I was asking the Lord, Lord, I don't want to be a usual minister. I don't want to be an ordinary minister. I don't want to be a, a TED talk preacher. I don't want to be an, inf an information uh, speaker. I don't want to be someone who just has you know, great words to speak and share. I don't want to be an ordinary minister. I don't want to see an ordinary church. The church was never called to be ordinary. We have extraordinary power available to us to produce extraordinary works so that this generation can see that we are called by not a normal name, not a false idol name, but by the name of the one who died and rose again, Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. And it's about time this generation finds out that we're not to be blended in with Islam, blended in with Buddhism, blended in with uh, every other religious teaching, but that we stand alone in a sector and in a category by ourselves because we are called by the name of God and we have this resurrection life working in us that we're not like everybody else and neither should our life look like everybody else's life. Hallelujah. Not interested in the ordinary. 
I want the extraordinary. The Bible says, and when they saw Jesus working, they said, we have seen strange things today. It's about time that the world, instead of criticizing, starts to say, we've seen something strange today. The Bible says when in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John raised that cripple from his paralysis, that the Sanhedrin, the people who had crucified their Savior 50 days earlier, the people that were against the name of Jesus and the doctrine of Jesus Christ. Those same people, the Bible says in Acts 4, they could not do anything to Peter and John. They wanted to kill him, but they couldn't do anything because indeed a notable miracle had been done and everybody in Jerusalem heard about it. Their hands were bound. They couldn't speak evil of the way because it was a notable miracle. We need to have notable miracles erupt in the body of Christ today. And it's not going to come through wishful thinking. It's not going to come through uh, admiring what God has done then. It's going to come when we start to have an understanding of how God by His Spirit works miracles. That's why it's called the working of miracles. Where it's going to come when we start to have a deep appreciation and craving for these power gifts of the Holy Ghost. I said it yesterday, these gifts do not just fall on people. They don't come to casual seekers. These gifts do not, you don't just stumble into them. It's not like one day you're just sleeping and wake up and you say, man, I feel the working miracles surging through my body and I'm going to go lay hands on people. That's not how it works. These gifts come to those that earnestly desire, zealous, burn with passion for. Burn with passion for. John 14, 12 the works that you've seen me do, you will do. And greater works than these shall, I, shall you do because I'm going to the Father. Greater works. These greater works, if Jesus, if the works of Jesus were accomplished by the gifts of the Holy Spirit, every miracle he did was a functioning of the working of miracles. Every healing that he produced in his ministry was a functioning of the gifts of healing. Jesus, get this very clear into your spirit, emptied himself of his divine glory. Philippians 2. When he came to the earth, he took upon himself the, the, the appearance of a man. He came in flesh. He confined himself to only the, the limitations of what the gifts of the spirit can produce. That's why you ever, you ever wonder why Jesus asked the crowd who touched me when someone, that woman with the issue of blood touched him? I used to wonder, like, Jesus is the Son of God. He knows all things. Why didn't he just know? Why did he have to ask? He didn't know. He wouldn't have asked if he'd known. He didn't know because he emptied himself of his ability to know all things at that time. Do you ever notice that when Jesus said that the day the Son of Man will come, no man knows, not even the Father, not, uh, not even the angels and not the Son, but only the Father? He said the angels and the Son don't even know. Because he was saying in his human, human form at that moment, he didn't know when the time of the completion of all things was going to be. He couldn't give you a date. It's going to be in 2000 and something AD. He didn't know. Now, when he went back into heaven and clothed himself back with the glory that he had before the world began, at that moment, he knew. He now knows. Jesus knows when he's going to come back uh, and the day he's going to do it. His omniscience has been restored. But for that time that he was on the earth, he emptied himself of his omniscience, his omnipotency. He emptied himself of his omnipresence. He wasn't everywhere at once. He was confined to his physical body. And he knew in doing that, that if he was going to do miracles, it was going to be done by the gifts of the Spirit. And the reason why he did that was to show the generations coming after that what I did is not something that you're alienated from. 
You can share in this life. You can share in this power. If you drink from the same spirit, which I read yesterday, we drink from the same spirit. If we drink from that same spirit, that we too can have these gifts operating and functioning in our life. So what are the three gifts in this category of the power gifts? Number one, we have the gift of faith. The gift of faith. Write that down in the comment section. The gift of faith. If you're just joining me now, you do me a great service. If you're on YouTube to like this broadcast, shoot in a comment in the comment section. For those that are watching on Facebook, share the broadcast and like the video. It'll help us get this word out to more people. The gift of faith. So what is the gift of faith? Well, there's three types of faith that operate in our universe. One, there's universal faith. Universal faith is the faith that we have when we sit on a chair. It's the faith that we have when we a fisherman takes a net and casts it into the sea. He has, by experience, learned and discovered and grown in faith, developed faith, that if I now throw this into the sea in the right place at the right time, at the right time of the day, that I'm going to reap a harvest of fish. Fish will be caught up in this net. That's universal faith. It's the faith to get on an airplane and not interview the pilot to find out whether he's mentally sane and able to bring you over. It's the faith that you don't go and do a full evaluation on the airplane itself, but you just trust that the airline has done it and that it's not going to tank into the middle of the Pacific Ocean as you're, you're flying towards Hawaii. That's universal faith. Universal faith. The faith that you have when you touch your uh, iPad and unlock it. You believe that it's going to turn on. You open up your computer. You have faith in Apple's technology to turn on this computer. That's universal faith. The gift of faith is not universal faith. Everybody's got universal faith. The heathen and the, 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 heathen and the saved. This is the faith. You know, I said all the time, we're created in God's image. God's a faith God. And we, everything we do has to do with faith, whether you know it or not. Number two type of faith is saving faith. Saving faith has to do with salvation. By grace through faith are you saved. This is not the gift of faith in reference to the gifts of the Holy Spirit outlined in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is, although it is a gift of faith, the Bible says that we are saved by grace through faith. It is the gift of God. It is not the gift or the operation of the gift of faith listed in 1 Corinthians 12. This is simply the faith God gives us to believe on Jesus Christ for the salvation of our souls. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus turns to Peter and says, Who do you think that I am? Or who do, who do you say that I am? And Peter replied, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Flesh and blood could not reveal this to you, but only my Father who is in heaven. So Jesus was acknowledging that this faith that, Jesus, that Peter had placed in him that Peter believed him to be the Messiah, could not come any other way except that God revealed this to him, this information to him, this revelation for him. And that's the faith we've all received in receiving salvation, that we needed to receive salvation. And not only salvation, but every benefit and redemptive benefit of salvation. The faith to be healed comes through this saving faith. 
We read, faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. That faith that comes by hearing God's word concerning salvation and forgiveness of sins, concerning healing from sickness and disease, concerning financial stewardship and what we're to do with our money and the blessing of the Lord that maketh a man rich and adds no sorrow to it. That type of faith is under the category of saving faith. But today we're talking about the gift of faith. The gift of faith. What is the gift of faith? The gift of faith is when God imparts into a human vessel his ability to believe. It is the faith of God coming into you. It is a perfect faith absent of any doubt and any unbelief. There's no worry in this faith. There is no anxiety. There's no stress. There's no moments of potential collapse. There's no moment of weakness. It is a perfect faith. It's supernaturally endowed by God onto people where it's God's faith that kicks in. The ability to perfectly believe. Faith with the absolute absence of doubt. This faith is unlimited because God is the source of it and not man. Hallelujah. This faith is unlimited because God is the source of it and not man. The gift of faith will achieve that which is humanly impossible. The gift of faith will achieve that which is humanly impossible. The Bible says in Hebrews 11:2 that by faith the elders obtained a good report. This gift of faith will always bring a good report. What's a good report? A testimony. The gift of faith never fails to procure a testimony of God's power working in our life. The gift of faith is what provokes divine intervention into human affairs so as to produce the miraculous. Now I need to make this clear because we're going to talk about the working of miracles and I'm going to distinguish it from the gift of faith. Although one thing I do want to make clear before I even get into that is that these gifts sometimes are so similar, especially in these power gifts, that people can get into arguments and bicker about whether it was the working of miracles that happened or the gifts of healing or the gift of faith. Sometimes there's similarities and oftentimes it's actually like a chain. They all link together. Sometimes all three gifts can be at work. So don't get into, you know, so strong on definition that you create disunity in the body of Christ. Look, the point is, is whether it's the gift of faith or the working of miracles or the gifts of healing that produce the healing the healing happened and that's what matters we're not going to get into these petty debates on to which one was at work when that happened as long as the person was healed and experienced god's miracle working power that's the important thing but i do want to make a distinction in its definition between the gift of faith and the working of miracles the gift of faith is god's power working apart from man's physical involvement all men all that man is responsible to do is speak man's only involvement in seeing god's power at work through this gift of faith is speaking jesus demonstrated the gift of faith at work in mark chapter 11 verse 22 and 23 jesus tells his disciples have the faith of god for if you, and then he tells you what the faith of God is, what this gift of faith will look like when it's operating in and through you. It says the faith of God looks like this. If you have faith, you will say 
to this mountain, be thou uprooted and cast into the middle of the sea. And if you believe that those things which you say, and that will come to pass, and do not doubt what you say, or doubt in your heart what you say, that it shall come to pass, that you will have what you say. You'll have what you say. So God's the one who performs. Remember, Jesus spoke to the fig tree. He didn't come to the fig tree at night and chop it down. He spoke to the fig tree, and he didn't do anything else but speak. And then God came to wither up that fig tree. The power went to work, and from the root, it began to die and decay. God's the one who performs and works everything out. Rather, and in contrast with the working of miracles, where in the working of miracles, you do something. It's the working of miracles. It's God working through you to accomplish something. In the gift of faith, God does something supernaturally on your behalf. In the working of miracles, God does something supernaturally through you. And I'm going to get into examples of that. So what are examples of the gift of faith at work? The gift of faith works primarily for two things. Provision and protection. Provision and protection. I'm going to give you the example of it for provision and then we'll move into protection. 1 Kings chapter 17, we see the gift of faith operating through the life of Elijah, the prophet. And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. And for three and a half years it didn't rain, and it was a big drought. And the Bible says after the three and a half years, he began to speak. He said, I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. He did not cause anything. He didn't cause a natural disaster. So as rain would come again, he didn't do something. Uh, he didn't work anything out. Literally, Elijah just spoke and the heavens were shut up. That was the gift of faith to shut the heavens up. And then he spoke again. I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. And their rain came, and the earth yielded a crop. You see this also in uh, the widow of Zarephath. When he speaks, let me read it actually. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon. This is during the drought. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called her to himself and said, Please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink it. And as she was going to get it, he called her, he called her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. Then he, she said, As the Lord your God lives, I don't have bread, only a handful of flour in a, in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go and prepare for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. Elijah said, don't be afraid. Go and do as you have said. But make me first a small cake and bring it to me. And afterward, make some for yourself and for your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel. Here's the gift of faith kicking in. He spoke this. He didn't do anything to bring this to pass. All he did was open his mouth and speak. For thus says the Lord God of Israel. The bin of flour shall not be used up. Nor, the, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the, the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So he, she went away and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry according to the word of the Lord which he spoke by Elijah. 
So all he spoke, all he did was speak. The bin of flour is not going to be used up, and that jar of oil is going to be abundantly supplied until the Lord sends rain on the earth. And as he said, it came to pass. You see this in Ezekiel. God says, speak to the dry bones that they should live again. He didn't do anything. He didn't move. He didn't grab a stick and strike them. He didn't do anything with his hands or his feet. He just spoke. And as he spoke, there was a rattle, and then there stood on their feet an exceedingly great army. And then the Spirit of God inha inhabited in them, and they became an exceedingly great army. So this gift of faith has to do with speaking. You can speak. When this gift comes on you, it's going to cause you, empower you to speak provision in a time of famine. It's going to cause you to speak provision in a time where all you're seeing is poverty. The gift of faith will empower you to call ravens to bring you bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. You see, Howard Carter, who was a great man of God, he was uh, the, um, the dean and the president of Hampstead Bible College in London, England. And at the time, he, there was a church not too far from and in, in London that was believing for a building and uh, to, 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 to purchase a building for their church. And so he agreed that he was going to buy them a building. So he found a plot of land and he told the bank, I'll have the money for you in 60 days. And uh, he had no money to his name. They didn't have any money to actually fulfill or to actually fill in that promise. So for a couple of days, nobody worried. But approaching that day, that 60th day, the Bible college students began to worry and they went on like involuntary fast. They were so worried about it. They, they just didn't even have an appetite to eat. Because if that, you know, if, if the money they paid or the bank paid to purchase that building didn't come in, where do you think they were going to go? They were going to go after the Bible college and uh, take, take their building. Impound their furniture and all that stuff to pay off what they had owed for the other, the other building. So all the Bible college students were worried. But Howard Carter just kept on speaking. I don't need the money now. Because it was on the 60th day at 11 a.m. He had a meeting with the bank to bring the money. So he said, Lord, I don't, I don't need the money until then. If you bring it to me 9 a.m. on that 60th day, that's just as good as if you brought it to me today. See, what the gift of faith allows you to do is it empowers you to see the promise fulfilled without actually seeing it with your physical eyes. The gift of faith does like what that servant in Elisha's day had. Elisha said, pray that this man's eyes may be open so he can see that there's more for us than there are against us. The gift of faith allows you to see that there's more for you, working things out for you than there is against you. Abraham saw Isaac before he ever even held Isaac. In hope, he believed that he would be the father of many nations. And so he began to call himself Abraham. Remember, Abraham means a father of many nations. He didn't even have a kid. Abram just means exalted father. And he had Ishmael. But when it came to the child by Sarah, he didn't have anything. And yet God said, call yourself Abraham. So from that day onward, he just kept on declaring, him, I'm Abraham, I'm Abraham. And he grew strong in faith. He didn't waver in unbelief. He was persuaded what God had promised he was able to bring to pass. That's what the gift of faith does. It gives you a supernatural confidence with the absence of doubt that what God promised he's going to bring to pass. So you speak 
in the face of, of uh, insurmountable odds and circumstances. You speak in the face of the impossible. The impossible doesn't even phase you. It doesn't even come, it doesn't even affect your heart. Psalm 112 gives us a little bit of a hint into what carrying the gift of faith allows a righteous person to feel. Psalm 112, the Bible says that the righteous are unshakable. They don't fear evil tidings or bad news. They don't fear the report. They don't get phased or shaken. The Bible says the righteous cannot be shaken. There's this unshakable confidence in you. So that's what he had. And uh, the night before, day 59, some mail came in. And he went to get the mail and there was this thick brown envelope, but he thought it was just like newspaper clippings and uh, letters that prayer requests people had mailed in because he had oftentimes get that. And so he just laid it on his bedroom, uh, bedroom uh, dresser and was intending to go to bed. But the Lord said to him, go and open that envelope. He thought, like I said, it was just some uh, prayer requests and he was going to get to it in the morning. He'd read it for his, uh, in his breakfast, you know, with his breakfast. But the Lord said, go and read it. Go, not go and read it. Go and open the envelope. So he went and opened it. And there was, in like $100 bills or pounds, whatever they have, in pounds, he had all the money necessary for the purchase of that building that someone had sent anonymously. The next morning, he woke up, went to breakfast. Everyone else, they were like dancing and shouting and just you know, the whole cafeteria erupted in a praise break. And Howard Carter just sat there calmly because he knew the entire time it was going to come to pass. You see this gift of faith? So that's in terms of provision. Let's talk about in terms of protection. Two areas the gift of faith will work for you. Provision and perfect protection. Daniel chapter 6. You see the gift of faith at work. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home and in his upper room, his windows opened towards Jerusalem, he knelt down and his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as was his custom since the early days. You skip forward. You skip forward uh, for the sake of time. Verse 18. So Daniel prays and Daniel's then thrown into the lion's den. Now the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting and no musicians were brought before him and his sleep went from him. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in in haste to the den of lions. You know, the king had faith there too. It wasn't just Daniel's faith. Daniel, uh, the king, the Bible says fasted the night before and he rushed in the morning to see, to see Daniel and cried out. With a lamenting voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve. It takes a level of faith to throw someone in a lion's den with ravenous lions who have been starved, who in the natural would have snatched him up and peeled his flesh off his bones within minutes, and the next day run to that den and cry out, Daniel. Seems foolish to the natural mind. No, I'm sure most people would have tried to discourage him. What are you doing going, that kid's dead. There's no way that guy survived that lion's den. Trust me, I'm in charge with keeping those lions and we hadn't fed them in four days. Those things took him apart limb by limb. Yet he had a level of faith, not the gift of faith. Daniel carried the gift of faith, but this king had a level of faith to go and cry out, Daniel. Servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? 
Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths so that they have not hurt me because I have found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Now the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel out of the lion's den. And he was taken up out of the den with no injury whatsoever found on him because he trusted in his God or he believed in his God. So you see, Daniel did not get into the lion's den and have to physically fight the lions. Talk about in the work of miracles in a couple of seconds. Samson had this work in the miracles operating in him when he fought a lion with his bare hands and won. That's, that's naturally not possible. You see it in David when he said, I fought a bear and I fought a lion and I won. That's the working of miracles working through him. Daniel didn't work a miracle. Daniel just believed God and God shut the mouths of the lions. This gift is, is crucial, is crucial, especially, you know, these, I said it the other day that these gifts of the spirit are not going to decrease as we see the day of Jesus coming, as Christ comes back. These gifts are going to intensify in their operation. They're going to increase in usage. They're going to be more needed than ever before because you see about the end time prophecies and what the world's to expect. Famine, there'll be various famines, there'll be plagues, all these things. Well, how do you think the body of Christ is going to be supernaturally preserved and protected? It's through the operation of these gifts. Why do you think the devil's trying to turn this end time church away from miracles, faith, the message of faith? Because he knows that I can actually do, I can exert my plan on them too. If I can turn them away from the very weapons of warfare that were designed to keep them and preserve them in the last days. But I made up my mind. I don't care what people preach. I don't care who talks bad about miracles. I don't care who down talks the message of faith. I'm going to believe God. I'm going to operate this gift of faith. I'm going to see the working of miracles at work in my life. I'm going to, I serve a supernatural God and the natural lifestyle of a believer is to be supernatural. Like Sid Roth says, welcome to the, welcome to soup. It's supernatural where the natural is supernatural, where we're naturally supernatural. Hallelujah. Daniel believed God and God shut the mouths of those lions. He sent an angel to shut the mouths of those lions. By this gift of faith, it'll keep you supernaturally protected in these last days. No matter the lions that roar your way, no matter the threats of the enemy in these last days, what the WF is planning on doing what wicked men are trying to enforce on the earth this gift of faith will keep you supernaturally protected and preserved through it all look at Shadrach Meshach and Abednego they didn't do anything they didn't have physical power to actually stop the flames there was no working of miracles there they just said our God whom we serve is able to deliver us he will deliver us. And even if he didn't, this is not unbelief, by the way. This was a sign of their love for God. Because they, can't, they weren't double-minded. They didn't say our God's able and he's going to deliver us. And then, but you know what? We actually don't know. They weren't stating unbelief when they said even if he doesn't. They were just telling Nebuchadnezzar, let it be known to you and let this get you mad. That even if our God did not deliver us, we know he's going to, and we're going to be out here in a couple of minutes here. But even if he didn't deliver us, I want you to know and let this irritate you to the core 
we would never bow. That's love. Faith worketh by love. That was their faith working. It was love for God. We would never bow. We'll never bend our knee to Baal. We'll never kiss his face. We belong to the Lord. Even if we're just a remnant, our allegiance and loyalty is with God and Jesus Christ, his son, and we're not bending and we're not bowing and we're not going to curve and we're not going to flow with the culture and trends of this world. Our allegiance is with the God of heaven and earth. And as they said that, the Bible says they were thrown into the, they were thrown into the um, burning fiery furnace and the flames had no power. They came out not even smelling like smoke. Hallelujah. Supernatural protection. Supernatural protection. So the gift of faith is God bringing a supernatural change in response to this perfect God faith in man. No human intervention is required. Let's go to number two, power gifts. Gifts of healings. Interesting that this is the only gift that is pluralistic in form. Why is it pluralistic? Some believe that Jesus received 39 stripes on his back, covering the 39 categories and classes of sickness and disease, and that these gifts of healings actually deal with the 39 classes and categories of sickness and disease. Um, Lester Somerall says that there's the gifts of healings because if there was just one person that carried the ability to heal every type of sickness and every type of disease, that that person would be honored. And let me make this clear before I move on. When I say a person that has the ability to heal every kind of sickness and every kind of disease, we all have, by the power of faith, to lay hands on people despite the sickness or disease that's plaguing their body and minister healing to them. When we're talking about the gifts of healings, we're not talking about the healing that just comes by faith. We're although the gifts of healing is triggered by faith, we're talking about when God operates through a human vessel in a way where there is like a facilitation of healing in that meeting or in that environment. You see it in Luke chapter 5. The power of the Lord was present there to heal. It's just, it's when the sweet presence of God invades a room, a, pres a, a place where healing just like popcorn begins to pop out, it pop off everywhere in that place. This is when the power of the Lord is present to heal. It's not just healing that comes from faith because there's there have been times where I've preached on healing and only one or two people got healed of serious things but other people who had even minor ailments didn't get healed because they just they didn't have you know they either didn't have the faith to believe or they didn't have an understanding of what i was saying and that's fine but when this gift of healing is at work oftentimes it's like everyone gets everyone in the building gets healed you see guys operate in this gifts of healing so going back to what i was saying lesser someone says that if the if one human being had the capacity to at any time at will just bring healing to whatever sickness and disease that that person would carry a God complex at one point at some point in his life and would fall into pride and condemnation and fall under the con same condemnation as the devil. And he believes that's why, you know, you see different ministries throughout history. Look at Smith Wigglesworth. Smith Wigglesworth, when the gifts of healings was flowing through him, Everyone that had seizures in that place, in the building, wherever he was ministering, was healed of seizures. He had a specific anointing under this category of gifts of healings to heal people with seizures and epilepsy and that type of, you know, neurological problem. 
there's a guy by the name of Stephen Jeffries who, who's dead and home with the Lord at this present time who, who he carried a special grace and a healing anointing to minister to people with rheumatoid arthritis. Everyone that carried rheumatoid arthritis in his, in his meetings got healed every time. He had like a very high success rate. There's someone that was his, um, his music director that ended up branching off and having his own ministry at, uh, at some point. I think his name was Fred Squire. And he continued his ministry after Jeffrey's ministry closed up. And he would have an abnormal amount of blind eyes come open in his meetings. People that were blind. Everywhere he went. At one point, there was in one meeting in South Africa, he had 400 blind people receive their sight in one meeting. That's the operation of the gifts of healing. Oral Roberts. When Oral Roberts would minister to people, the Lord actually spoke to him when he was younger. If you feel your right hand burn up with fire, then you can know that the gifts of healing is an operation. Lay hands on everybody in the building and they'll be healed. But if that fire does not come, that heat does not come or is not present in your hand, then you've just got to trust me by faith, preach the divine healing, doctrine of divine healing, and trust me by faith that I'm going to accompany the word with signs following and just lay hands on them in faith. But there was a distinction. Dora Roberts knew when he was operating in the gifts of healing and other times when he was just to do things by faith and faith alone. Hallelujah. For this gift to operate, but I will say one thing that's common in all of these great men that I've listed, and you know, Jesus himself, the Bible says, you know, that they came to him at evening and they brought all that were sick with various diseases and he healed them all. Jesus himself was the only one that carried the full potential of the gifts of healings. Because the gifts of healing is limited in that I said before, uh, there are people that when this is activated, there's certain sicknesses, certain diseases, certain ailments, certain pains, certain things that go away. You know, in this ministry, I've seen an abnormal amount of people that had stage four cancer get healed in our meetings when the power of God was very thick and present to heal. That's the gifts of healing at work in me and through me. And I said this on the other broadcast, nobody owns a gift. I don't have a healing gift. I have the Holy Ghost, and this is how sometimes He manifests Himself through me. I don't have the gift of faith. At times when I need provision or protection, that gift of faith manifests through me for the profit of all. So you, nobody, I don't like when people go on and say, oh, he's a healing evangelist. First of all, if you're an evangelist, matter, matter of fact, let's take a step back and say, if you're a Christian, you're a healing Christian. <laughs> There's no healing event. You don't have a choice to heal the sick when you're an evangelist. Bible says he called them to preach the kingdom of God and heal the sick that are there. And they healed all that had need of healing. Go lay hands on the sick and the sick shall recover. There's no option there. There's no perfect great commission and then our own variant, uh, variation of the great commission. There is the great commission. And the great commission includes healing people of sickness and disease by the power of the gospel. But one thing I have to make clear and everyone that's operated in this gifts of these gifts of healing had one thing in common. This one thing in common. They all agreed on the doctrine of divine healing. They all agreed that God's will was always to heal. 
They all agreed. You read Oral Roberts's book. You read Teal Osborne's book. You read Smith Wigglesworth's books. You read Kenneth Hagin's books. You read all these great men of God that Catherine Coleman's books. You read these books. These people that ministered healing to their generation at a greater measure than the average minister by these gifts of the Spirit. They all had one thing in common. They were fully persuaded and had come to the conclusion that God's will from the Scripture is that all should be saved and just as willing as He is for all to be saved, all should be healed. That the gospel, healing is part and parcel in the gospel of salvation. They never, you'll never see someone operating the gifts of healing who preaches healing like sometimes God says no, sometimes He says wait. You, you don't see anybody operating the gifts of healing that talks like that. You don't you see anyone that operates under this gift and has the opinion of sometimes we just don't know why people die. They all, they all have a clear biblical understanding that the gospel call for salvation is universal and in the same vein, the gospel call for healing is universal. And as many as touched the hem of his garment were made perfectly whole of whatever they had. As many as touched. You read through, you know, I have it highlighted in one of my Bibles. But you read uh, uh, through the Gospels and highlight how many times it says, and everyone was healed and all were made well. And he healed every sickness and disease. And as many as touched him were made well. And the multitudes came to him and he healed them all. You read how many times it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's actually quite a few times that Jesus is, uh, not quite a few times, it's every time he started healing people. It was everyone that was, that was there that got healed. So if you're not assured that God's will is to heal everyone that comes to him, you're never going to flow in this gift of healing. God's will is to heal all. Hallelujah. And then number three, and we'll finish with this, the working of miracles. The working of miracles. With, this gift, with the gift of faith, I described it before, God works for man. With the working of miracles, God works through man. A miracle is the divine intervention of God in the ordinary course of nature. It's when God suspends natural law to give way for supernatural law. God's natural law is the supernatural law. So a miracle is only a miracle in regards to men. To God, it's just another day. It's just another day. It's just another move of His hand. It's natural to Him. But a miracle is the suspension of natural law to give way for supernatural law. The Bible calls it the working of miracles. Not the waiting of miracles. Not the trusting God for a miracle. It is the working of miracles. The Greek words is energema dunamos, where we get the word energy and dynamite. The word energema literally means to effect an operation. To effect an operation. To move and do something. It's where we get the word energy. You need energy to do something. Energema means to effect an operation. So this involves or this, there's a requirement of human involvement in the operation of this gift. 
It's not God working apart from us. It's God working through us. Energema and endunamis is strength, power, or ability. The power to perform miracles. Energema dunamis is the power to perform miracles. To affect an operation that brings about a miracle. After the Holy Ghost comes on you, Acts 1.8, you shall receive dunamis, power. The power to affect a miracle will come on you when you receive the Holy Ghost. You see this in Samson's life. He kills a lion. Then he goes on to kill a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. Then he moves on to tear down two pillars of, a, of, a, of an established building and killing more Philistines in his death than he did in his lifetime. That was energema dunamis. That was the working of miracles. He did not have the natural strength or power to do that by himself. That was God's, literally what happens is it's God's strength that comes on a man to do what only God can do. Hallelujah. David killed a lion. David killed a bear. That was the working of miracles. Then you see it in a different way. Jesus, when he tells the men, the servants, to fill the water pots with water, they energena dunamos. When they listened to Jesus' instructions to fill the water pots with water, they were working a miracle. Jesus was the source of the miracle. Now he's the one that turned the water into wine. But they, see how they cooperated or worked with Jesus for that miracle? This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory to his disciples. There was the energena dynamos. There was an, an operation that they had to do. They filled the water pots with water. In taking the water from the water pots and bringing it to the master of the feast was the miracle wrought and the water was turned into wine. Hallelujah. Peter and John, they get to the gate called beautiful in Acts chapter 3. They see a man lame, crippled from his mother's womb. What do they do? Silver and gold we do not have. They didn't tell the man to rise up. That would have been the gift of faith at work. What did they do? They grabbed the man by the right hand and seized him and lifted him up. They worked a miracle. One of my favorite stories about this is when uh, there was a, a minister, evangelist, Ted Shuttlesworth Sr., who was preaching in a church, I believe in Florida. I might, might be mistaken on the location. But he was preaching and there was a man that was brought by his wife to the meeting whose neck was like sunken in. And the doctors had had to remove some vertebrae or whatever from his neck. And he was pretty much sunken in like this. And I don't know if it was herniated discs, but he was missing two, not vertebrae, he was missing two discs. And there was a little girl who was about six, seven years old sitting in the pew behind that man. Who, you know, when a kid sees something that's not usual for them, they just love to stare. We know as older adults, we know not to stare, but she just stared the entire time. And as the minister was preaching, he felt this working of miracles to come on him, this gift of the working of miracles that just came on him. And he called the man out and he grabbed the man's neck, which had been set by doctors, and he lifted. Remember, we're talking about the working of miracles. He worked it. There was man's involvement. He lifted the man's head. And his wife, when he did that, let out like a groan, like, like a scary groan and, and sigh because she thought that her husband was going to die because of that violent 
movement that he had just experienced. The doctor said, you know, even if you move it a, like a quarter inch um, too quickly, you could die. So the wife got scared for a second, but to her surprise, the guy didn't die, but the guy lived. And his two discs were, like even the evangelist in, in uh, repeating the story, he talks about how he himself, when he lifted the man's neck, he went, whoa, because he felt two things pop on his neck. He felt two discs get supernaturally inserted into his neck and he felt the pop. So even he said, as a faith preacher, went, whoa. When that happened, the little girl behind on the second pew saw that and began to weep because she saw the guy come in with his neck sunken in and now his neck perfectly well and his, his, him moving it without any pain. So the evangelist says, little girl, do you want to see what a miracle feels like? She said, yes. So she's weeping and she comes. He grabs her hand and puts it right on the guy's neck. As she touches the neck, she falls out. I forgot to mention a detail. She was a Muslim girl and her, her father was a Muslim man who was brought by friends. They said, just come. This guy's a healer because Jesus, you know, Muslims believe Jesus was a healer. So they were saying, uh, they, they had convinced him to come with his daughter just to see, you know, healings take place. They don't have a problem with Jesus being a healer. They just have a problem with Jesus being the son of God. So when the little girl touched the neck, she fell out, began to speak in tongues, and uh, was like in a trance on the ground. Well, when she fell, the dad reached forward to grab her before she hit the ground. But the way you stop live wire is not by touching it. He, that current of miracle working power that was running through his daughter, when he touched her, it struck him. And he began to speak in tongues and was on a trance. And at the altar call that night, they both came forward. And the next day, they had two or three rows of Muslim family members and friends that he had brought to the meeting. Hallelujah. So you see that these power gifts specifically the working of miracles, is an evangelistic tool that we absolutely need. Jesus himself said, if these people don't believe my words, at least believe you the works that you see me do. If Jesus, by just speaking words, at times was unsuccessful in winning the crowds over, that it was when he did miracles that they believed that he was the Messiah, the Son of the living God. How much more in 2,000 years later do we need this working of miracles to successfully convince the masses that Christ is alive and well? Jesus himself says, unless these people see signs and wonders, they'll by no means believe. Now, I'm not saying, you know, when Jesus turned to the crowds and he said, the wicked and perverse generation seeks after a sign and no sign will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. When Jesus said that, he was referring to the Pharisees uh, desiring an astrological sign. They wanted some sign in the heavens. They wanted Jesus to show an astrological sign. He said, no sign is going to be given to you. Those are not the signs we're talking about. I'm not talking about me levitating. That's demonic. I'm not talking about me doing all. We're talking about the working of miracles. We're talking about healing men's bodies. We're talking about blind eyes coming open. We're talking about deaf ears coming open. Those are the signs that Jesus said, unless they see these signs, they're not going to believe. These are the things that come behind the message of the gospel to authenticate it, to put the divine stamp of approval. Hallelujah. 
Miracles preach a message in and of himself. C.T. Studd used to say that miracles are the dinner bell of the gospel. You start having miracles like that happen, find out that it's a lot easier to get people saved. Tell you one thing that happened to me in my own meeting. Dominican Republic. There's a man there who broke his arm that day. Fractured his arm in three places or whatever. Had a big cast. He came to the service that night. We were doing a crusade in, um, in um, Guaranico, Guaranico, Dominican Republic. And uh, I called him up and I grabbed his arm and I squeezed it. And I said, Father, let your fire come on his arm. I command a healing miracle. And uh, he went home that night. He felt better. The pain left. But his wife, he wanted to cut off his cast. But his wife said, don't cut off the cast. Just, you know, wait a few Wait a few days, see if you actually feel better. But he stood in faith, and he took a straight blade out and cut the cast open. And the next night, he showed up to the meeting. And I said, I remember his name, Santiago. I actually still have the cast somewhere in my office. I have the cast because he, he actually signed it. And he said, I'm a miracle of God, Santiago. And he gave it to me, and he gave me an offering with it in, 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 uh, you know, in gratitude to what God had done. And I kept, I kept that cast. He brought... He was there the next night, and I, I saw him. I said, why don't you come up and testify to what God, because I realized he didn't have the cast on. So he comes up with the cast, and uh, he testifies of what had happened. He had fallen, doing some renovations on his home yesterday, broke his arm, got a cast that same day, came back uh, to the crusade. Lord healed him. He cut it off, and here he is now, and he's lifting his hands, his tears in his eyes. So I grabbed his arm. To show the people, I said, just to show you he's not blowing smoke, I grabbed his arm and I twisted it. If it was really broken, and it was broken yesterday, but if it, <laughs> if it was still broken or fractured, I would have destroyed that guy's arm. So I grabbed it and I, I, I just moved it in every direction I knew possible. And he just began to lift up his hands in tears of praise and joy and gratitude. That night, do you think I had to convince anybody that wasn't saved to get saved? When I gave the, that was like one of the easiest altar calls I've ever given. I just, anyone here want to meet that Jesus? Come forward right now. And there was a group of teenagers that had been to other nights of the crusade that were unmoved and hostile. They were just there because probably their parents came. And I'm telling you, there was probably outside of everyone else that got saved, just in those group of teenagers that sat in the back bleachers, 40 to 50 teenagers that came forward and gave their life to Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. R.W. Shambach talks about when he went to India and preached, he rented out a stadium that had 20,000 seats in it. And the first night he had only 2,000 people come. If you have 2,000 people in a room of 1,000 seats, that's very good. But if you have 20,000 seats to fill out and you only have 1,000 people or 2,000 people show up, it looks bad. So the night that he was, the second night he was preaching and the Lord showed him a blind woman in the front row. He said, call her up and do this. Pray for her in the name of Muhammad. Then pray for her in the name of one of these Hindu gods. Then after you've done that, pray in the name of Jesus. And I'll do a miracle. And in doing that, uh, I'll, I'll kickstart this gospel campaign. So he calls her up and he grabs her and puts his, eyes on, his hands on her eyes and says, people, I'm going to pray in the name of Muhammad right now. And we're going to see if Muhammad will respond. He did that, nothing happened. We're going to pray now in the name of one of their Hindu gods. 
prayed, nothing happened. Then he grabbed her and he said, now I'm going to pray in the name above every other name, the name of Jesus. And he prayed, her eyes came open and she saw, and people in that crowd knew that she was a blind woman. The next night, there was 20,000 people in that building with overflow. Hallelujah. There was not enough seats in the room to hold the crowds that came in. That's what the working of miracles does. Hallelujah. Man, I'll tell you another story. I just love telling miracle stories. There was a lady who gave birth to a child that was born with 26 different problems in his body. He was blind. He was deaf. He was mute. And he had a bunch of other problems in his body. She was from Alabama. And she heard that R.W. Shambach was doing a, a crusade in Florida. So she, A.A. Uh, Allen rather, A.A. Allen and R.W. Shambach, he used to travel with A.A. Allen. A.A. Allen was doing a crusade in Florida. So she spent her, I think, 95% of her bank account, this is back in like 1940s, 50s, to get to A.A. Allen's meeting. Um, and she, had, she said, I had uh, $20 left, which back in the day was enough to pay her ride home. She had $15 to pay her, her gas. Sorry, it was $5 to pay her gas home, and then the $15 was for the medical bills that she needed for uh, his next treatment. So she had $20 left, spent everything else. That's faith. She, she didn't just, you know, uh, well, when he comes to Alabama, I'll come. She didn't know when A. Allen was going to come to Alabama, so she, she moved. She went, and f so many people are waiting for, uh, you, know, I, I, you know, I put up that I'm, I'm, uh, I'm coming to preach in California. I'll be in San Jose or whatever. And then you have people from L.A. saying, when are you coming to L.A.? Why don't you, I'm coming to California. I'm going to be in San Francisco. Why don't you go to San, San Jose or San, wherever else I'm going to be? You know, people are always waiting. There's, it's like this stale, stagnated faith. Let faith move you. This faith moved her. So she moved. She, she brought her child to Alabama, uh, to Florida. And the morning service, uh, R.W. Schambach used to preach on healing and faith. And she was there. And uh, it had been a couple of days already. I think there were two more nights left to the crusade. And she came up to R.W. Shambach and said, Brother Shambach, I've been here since last Friday, and uh, the, the man of God has not prayed for my son. And she showed him his, her son, and he's got 26, explained the whole thing, explained the whole uh, problem with the boy, 26 different um, disorders and diseases. And she said, I've got $20 left, and uh, I can't stay an extra week, because he was going an extra week. I can't stay an extra week. I don't have the money for hotels and all that. Would you promise me that if he doesn't uh, pray for my child tonight, that you would bring my son to the back and that he would pray for him in the back room after the service? R.W. Schambach said, absolutely. If man of God does not pray for that boy tonight, I'll bring him to the back and he'll lay hands on him afterwards. They had an agreement. That night she comes. A. Allen comes out and he gives a, a, a message on the offering, sowing a seed of faith. And uh, that lady came up. She was the first one to drop something in the offering. And R.W. Shamrock knew how much money she had left. So he was curious as to how much she dropped in the offering. So he said, I jumped off the stage and ran to that bucket. And there was a crumpled $20 bill. She gave everything else. She literally gave an offering of faith. She's like, Lord, I'm not going to need that $15 for my, my uh, child's treatments anymore. You're healing him tonight. So 
The night goes on. A. Allen begins to preach his sermon. And as he often did in other crusades, he got caught up in the spirit. And he said, I see a young boy here. And I see that boy is on a hospital table. And there are many doctors and physicians surrounding the boy. And they've come out of the hospital room and they went up to the mother and said, we have found, and he goes, five, 10, no, 25, 26, the Lord says, different diseases and problems in that boy. That mother and child is here tonight. If that's you, come forward. Well, she rapidly ran forward. I know some people can say, well, maybe R.W. Schambach went and told A.A. Allen at the end of... That didn't happen. R.W. Schambach is actually in telling this story. He calls it the greatest miracle he ever saw. Um, it, 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 he, he actually says that he actually says that if, if, you know, if it was just him going to tell A.A. Allen all the details of the story, the Lord wouldn't have healed the boy. It would have all been done in the flesh. It would have just been theater. So the fact that the healing happened shows that it wasn't R.W. Shama going to A.A. Allen, giving him all the juicy details for him. To, it wasn't manufactured. This wasn't planned. So he, the, little, the little boy comes forward with his mother. And you see, there's actually a video of it. A.A. Allen grabs the boy and he begins to preach with him. And then he would take the boy and put him down. And uh, he began to minister to the boy. And his, the boy was like crippled. He couldn't walk either. So he held him when he would preach. And then he'd put him on the stage and he'd continue to preach. And then he'd grab the boy and he'd preach and, 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 and have the boy in his arms. After about the third time, I think it was, he grabs the boy and he stands him on the platform of the stage. The moment he stands him up, his legs that were paralyzed and very like limp, nimble receive strength. And he begins to walk across the platform and the auditorium. Then his eyes that were blind come open. His tongue that was tied comes open. His ears, every, I'm telling you, it was like a supernatural clearing out of everything the devil had done to the kid. And they showed the boy, that's your mother. Because remember, he had never seen or heard his mother, just felt, just felt his mother's hand. And the first thing they taught the little boy to say was, Mama, Mama. When that happened, so that was an amazing miracle. That's the working of miracles. You saw A.A. Allen grabbed the boy and he slammed him on the platform and then grabbed his legs that looked like jelly. And legs, I'm telling you, strength came back to the legs. The eyes came open. He ministered to his entire body one by one. That's a working of miracles. When that happened, get this. The gift of faith. This is why I said the gift of the Spirit sometimes are interlinked. The gift of faith must have steered up because there was a wheelchair section with, I don't know, 15 or 18 different people that had been wheeled in on wheelchairs that night. And all of them unanimously stood up when they saw the boy walking and grabbed their wheelchairs and brought it to the front. The working of miracles right there triggered off the gift of faith in those, those men and women that were paralyzed or crippled in some shape or form. And unanimous, just all together with unison, got up, grabbed their wheelchairs, lifted it over their heads, and brought it to the front. R.W. Schambach said everyone present in that meeting that had any sickness or disease that night was healed. He said that was the greatest night of ministry I had ever seen in my entire life. Hallelujah.
Praise the Lord. Let me pray for you right now. I feel a, a, an unction to pray for miracles right now. And God's going to heal you. God's going to touch your body, whether it be a blind eye, a deaf ear, auditory nerves, cornea that's been torn, retina nerves that's been damaged, whether it be discs in your back. I, sp I feel specifically to pray for people who have herniated discs or discs that are shriveling up or discs that have been used up and have thinned out. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, I command brand new discs into your body. I command from the top of your head to the soles of your feet the working of miracles, that great gift to be loosed into your body. That every blind eye be open right now. Every deaf ear be unstuck. Command every, everyone's knees that have deteriorated. I feel like there's someone watching me. You've had an ACL tear in your knee. The Lord's going to repair that knee right now in Jesus' mighty name. I speak the mending power of God to mend that torn ACL in Jesus' name. Those that are watching that have lower back pain, that pain is flying away like a bird flying off a, a branch. In Jesus' mighty name, I loose the miracle working power of God right through your body. I loose it right now. I curse cancer in your body. I curse any spirit of infirmity that has ravaged your body. Loose them and let them go. Not only that, I loose the regenerating power of God. That whatever organ, whatever it is in your body that's been damaged by a disease, damaged by a sickness, your blood that's been damaged by a faulty liver, in the name of Jesus Christ, your blood levels get restored to perfection today in Jesus' name. Command your liver to, be, to receive the defibrillator of heaven, to be shocked back to life. You will not die, you shall live and declare the works of the Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, be healed in your body. I turn that resurrection life loose. Bell's palsy, lumbar spondylosis. In the name of Jesus, I curse bell palsy. I command the healing power of God to regenerate your body. Every nerve in your body. In Jesus' name. Command that hernia to be restored. Command it to be closed up. Now I'm going to pray that if you've been someone who's desired the operation of these nine gifts that we talked about the last three days in your own life, I'm going to pray right now that from today, there's going to be a glory released where you will naturally operate in the supernatural. Where the working of miracles, God's going to use you in that gifting from today onward. That healings will spring forth from you. That as God anoints your head with fresh oil, that oil will overflow from your vessel to create an environment of healing around you. That the power of the Lord will be present to heal as you minister from today onward. That the gift of faith would be 
would be a regular thing in your life. You won't have normal faith. That you won't just stop at saving faith, but that the gift of faith, that perfect faith of God, will be an operation through you to believe God for that which eye has not seen, what ear has not heard, what has never entered the heart of man. In Jesus' mighty name, Father, I thank you right now that the manifestation of these gifts shall be the ordinary order of the day from this day onward. Thank you, Lord, that those who've never had tongues, interpretation, or prophecy shall flow in these inspiration gifts, that their mouth will be a mouthpiece to the glory of God, to utter under the inspiration of the Spirit the deep things of God, to exhort, to encourage, to comfort, to edify. Father, I thank you that these revelation gifts, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, discerning of spirits that were designed to enable us, help us, and bring profit to our lives and to the church would begin to operate in their lives. Father, that they'd begin to receive word of knowledge, that they know things supernaturally by the Spirit that can't be known any other way. That you'd enable them to discern the different types of spirits. In Jesus' mighty name, in Jesus' mighty name. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji. Or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.